I think we all know firsthand the truth that uh, one day can change your whole life. Uh, any one of us who have gotten married or have become a parent, we know how one day can affect the rest of your life. But beyond you know, common events like weddings and births, most of us can also relate a unique experience that proves how we can be transformed in one 24-hour period. And for some of us, this is exactly what happened when we began following Jesus. I've said previously that some of us come to Christ like the apostle Peter uh, with subtle decisions and a gradual understanding. But on the other extreme, some of us come to Jesus like the apostle Paul. And we can point to one day, one day when our lives changed completely for all time and eternity. Well, this is exactly what happened to a man introduced in the book of Acts chapter 16. So would you please turn your Bible or your device to the book of Acts, which comes after the gospel of John and describes the birth of the church after Jesus rose from the dead. This is Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell that fast and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officials to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. 
Go in peace. This is the account of one day and how one person found a relationship with God that totally transformed his life. And here in Acts 16, God preserves the details of that one day to teach me some important truths about reaching the one on my heart. Uh, So let's study this one day in the life of one prison guard and how it intersects with the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion and fellow Christ follower, Silas. Let's study this one day by analyzing it in six separate scenes. Here are the six scenes. Suffering, singing, shaking, staying, sharing, and saving. The first scene is suffering. The story opens in the Greek city of Philippi uh, with an angry mob uh, that seizes Paul and Silas because Paul set a slave woman free from her spiritual bondage. Unfortunately, her slave masters made a lot of money off of her demonic delusion that she could predict the future. And so they kicked up a mob uh, and dragged Paul and Silas before the authorities. Now, it's at this point that Paul and Silas intersect with the jailer in Philippi uh, because the authorities decide to uh, give these Jesus followers a severe beating and throw them into prison. Now, there's some uncertainty as to when uh, the jailer first met Paul and Silas in the flow of the story. Maybe the jailer met Paul and Silas after they were already beaten. But the original Greek text actually allows for the more likely scenario that the beating took place in prison and that the jailer did it or supervised it. And I won't go into detail on the brutality of uh, this kind of a beating, uh, but it was not a slap on the hand. Uh, This is the kind of torment that cracks ribs and splits skin into ribbons. And this jailer most likely did it himself. But whether he did it or not, this day that changed his life began with the jailer's firsthand acquaintance with the suffering of Paul and Silas, which sets up now the next scene called singing. Uh, After their backs are broken and their limp bodies are thrown into a filthy cell, their arms are chained to the wall, their feet are slammed into stocks, and what happens next? Well, Paul and Silas did what we would do. Uh, They looked at each other through swollen eyes and they started to complain. Uh, Silas looked at Paul and says, I don't know about you, but I quit. God is definitely not blessing our ministry. Everywhere we go, we tell people about Jesus and they beat us up. I thought maybe it would be a little different in Philippi, but then you have to go and heal that slave girl. Nice move, miracle man. And then Paul says, oh sure, go ahead and blame me. I blame God. I mean, Jesus tells me to go and proclaim him everywhere, but everywhere I go, I end up in prison. Tell me, how's that a good plan? I mean, there's no purpose in this. This is hopeless. We're never going to get out of here. This is what Paul and Silas do, right? They have a little prison pity party, right? Wrong. I might have done this, but not these guys. Paul and Silas 
look at each other's blood splattered faces and they start to sing. Just sing. Uh, and I don't mean show tunes. No, I mean uh, uh, their fellow prisoners had suffered enough. But uh, Paul and Silas start to sing these joyful songs of hymns to God. They didn't doubt God. They thanked him. They, they didn't blame Jesus. They praised him. Verse 25 says that Paul and Silas started to sing and their fellow prisoners listened. The implication is that these prisoners were hearing something that these prison walls had never heard. It was the sound of a joy that rods can't beat down. They heard the sound of confidence that chains can't hold back. It was the sound of peace only possible through a relationship with God. You know, it's implied that Paul and Silas made music that melted the hearts of their fellow prisoners, including the Philippian jailer himself. Uh, perhaps Paul and Silas had no idea how their soft singing spoke louder than a lecture. But the jailer knew firsthand how deep their wounds went. And hearing Paul and Silas sing through their suffering was likely the first step in this jailer's transformation. Later, the jailer would ask Paul to teach about Jesus. But first, the jailer needed to hear Paul sing about Jesus. And there's a lesson here. I think there's a lesson here for you and me. That long before people want to hear me preach about Jesus, they want to hear me sing about Jesus. In other words, people want to know what difference Jesus makes in my attitude toward life, particularly my attitude toward the hard stuff through the painful parts of my life. Everyone goes through pain. And so everyone is intrigued when they meet someone who has the strength to sing through suffering. Following Jesus should change my perspective toward the difficult stuff in my life and should give me strength that people outside Jesus long for. Think about this in relation to your one, to the one that God has put on your heart. It could be that your personal problems actually form the door through which uh, you could lead someone to a relationship with God. It could be that hearing you sing through your suffering will be the first step for your one like it was for the jailer. The jailer was transformed by the way Paul and Silas sang. I don't know whether Paul and Silas sang well in prison, but I do know that their singing brought the house down. <laughs> All right, go. Uh, which brings us to the next scene, shaking. Verse 26 reports that while Paul and Silas were singing, God sent a mighty earthquake that rattled the prison, swung the doors of the prison open, released the shackles of every prisoner in the jail. And the earthquake might have been good news for the prisoners, but it was tragedy for the jailer. In first century terms, a jailer who lost his prisoner was in big trouble. Uh, when uh, the jailer saw the prison doors open, he knew that he had lost his job, his reputation, his future, 
and maybe even his life. The earthquake was such a crisis for the jailer that he was ready to kill himself. And it's in the middle of this personal earthquake that Paul steps in and is able to bring the good news. And here's a lesson. Here's a lesson for you and for me. Some people are not aware of their spiritual need until they are shaken. Perhaps the jailer was impacted by the way Paul and Silas sang, but singing was not enough to turn the jailer to Jesus. It took an earthquake to bring the jailer to his knees. And only God can send earthquakes. You know, I need to live a life that sings with the presence of Jesus, but that is rarely enough to bring my one to Jesus. Usually, it's an earthquake. It's an earthquake that shakes my one into taking God seriously. These everyday earthquakes take the form of uh, unexpected funerals, financial worries, relational problems, medical issues, family turmoils, emotional stresses. And many of us discovered Jesus as the result of being shaken by these kinds of things because these are the earthquakes that shake us out of our spiritual complacency and only God can do this kind of shaking. God sent an earthquake and Paul was ready when the jailer was shaken to his core. I take comfort in this. I take comfort in the realization that it's not my job to create spiritual need in people. It's not my job to shake people so that they're afraid of hell. I can't create spiritual interest in people. That's something only God can do. My job is to be prepared to share with the one who is shaken. God does the shaking, I do the sharing. And there's something important. There's something important that goes between the shaking and the sharing. And that important item is the staying. When God does the shaking, I need to be there for my friend. I need to stay. Uh, and this mean, is the meaning behind the next scene, which is called staying. One of the most important details of this account is how when the prison doors flew open, Paul and Silas chose to stay in jail. When the miracle took place, instead of saying, yippee, run, run for your life, God has rescued us from our suffering. No, they said, thank you, God. You've given us a chance to bring this jailer to Jesus. You see, those are two very different responses that come from two very different personal missions in life. Paul and Silas chose to stay in jail because their mission in life was not escaping pain, it was sharing Jesus. And if I am a Christ follower, then my mission in life is sharing Jesus, and that means that while everyone else is running away from shaky situations, I stay. I stay with those I love and go through their earthquakes. What I'm saying is that God can use me in the lives of friends who are shaken if I stay with them during their earthquakes. This 
is uncommon, right? I mean, most people say, I've got enough problems in my life. I'm not going to get involved in the pain and troubles of other people. But those who have one on their hearts stay and give support where there is shaking. When my friend is going through a divorce or a bankruptcy or a relational record, wreckage, of course, it's easy to run away. But love calls me to stay. And staying often gives me the opportunity to share, which is the next scene called sharing. Paul's suffering led to Paul's singing. Paul's singing led to Paul's uh, staying, the shaking and then the staying. And because Paul did the staying, he had the opportunity to do some sharing. And like I've said before in this series, I can't just skate over uh, this issue of verbal witness. If I consider myself a follower of Jesus, there's a point where I need to just talk about it. I need to, I need to just say something. I just can't stand by and, uh, and say, well, I'll just let my good life bring people to God. I can't say, you know, I'll be nice uh, not swear, I won't use any four-letter words, and hopefully uh, my silent witness will bring people to Jesus. That's ridiculous. Friends, there's a time when I need to just take a deep breath and tell people who I am and how life has meaning because I follow Jesus. That doesn't mean blurting stuff out of context. The good part of staying with your friend in the earthquake is that you know how to share Jesus in natural conversation connected to your friend's felt need. If your friend is dealing with guilt, you can show how Jesus supplies forgiveness. If your friend is dealing with fear, you can show how Jesus gives peace. And as you engage in this process, you have a powerful partner. Your most powerful partner is this church. Invite your friend to church. You know, every week you'll bring your friend to church and uh, it'll be me or one of the other preachers here uh, will be here to apply God's word to the felt needs we all experience. The Bible is God's manual for how to live life to the maximum and you can be sure that when you invite your friend here to BlackRock, they will get a taste of the relevancy of God's word to their life. Let me give you a little glimpse into the future. Our building project seems to be about on schedule, miracle uh, of miracles. Uh, there are still some things to hold us up. Uh, for instance, the delivery and installation of our worship seats. So for some reason, that seems to be on the edge and whether we can get that in in time. But we hope that the building will be ready for us to occupy for worship sometime in May. Uh, and this opening in May, uh, if it happens then, uh, will be very exciting for us. But that's not the time for us to invite our friends. Before you invite your friends, uh, we need several weeks or a month uh, to figure out where the light switches are, uh, you know, how to get our kids in uh, classrooms. Uh, you need to know how uh, to 
cut people off in the parking lot to get the best spaces. I'm kidding. Of course, it's just the opposite, right? Uh, We're going to arrange parking so that we reserve the best spots for our guests. And this test drive of our new building, we're calling the soft launch. Uh, And then some weeks after, maybe a month, we don't know how long, we'll have a grand opening. And this is the time to invite your friends to worship. Uh, That might be June or July. We don't know. This is a grand opening period that will then extend to the fall. And in this grand opening period, as the preacher, I'll be especially conscious of uh, the need to make sure that uh, we're showing people how the Bible relates to the felt needs and relevant issues of daily life. And this preaching style does not signal a change in philosophy. We're not becoming a seeker church or something like that. It just means that there will be several months where we're going to have a lot of guests and we need to reflect that in the way we communicate so that we're all together on that. I wanted to share you, uh, share that with you. So now, now is the time to get ready for this grand opening. Start talking up uh, this with your one now. Start thinking about how you can make the most out of a, a visit to, uh, to worship. Uh, when it comes to reaching your one, your most powerful partner is this church. But as much as this church can add to your process of sharing, there is a point where you must do the verbal kind of work. You must be prepared. At the minimum, you need to be prepared in two ways. First, you need to be prepared to share your life story. You need to be prepared to tell your story of how you grew into a relationship with God and how Jesus has changed your life. The second area of preparation is that you need to be prepared to share in a clear and concise way how your friend can begin to follow Jesus. Uh, In the middle of his personal earthquake, the jailer said to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? At a minimum, you need to be prepared to answer that question. Paul wouldn't be much of a messenger if he responded to the jailer's question by stumbling around saying, how to be saved? Well, uh, let's see, I guess you should read the Bible, Uh, maybe pray some. I mean, it'd be a good idea to stop beating people with rods, good start, okay? No, Paul was prepared to express the message of Jesus in a clear and concise way, and you must be prepared too. Here's an extreme example. What if you came across someone who had five minutes to live, and that person asked you what they needed to do to make peace with God and go to heaven? Would you know what to say in just one or two minutes, how do you summarize the difference between just knowing a historical Jesus and having a personal relationship with God through Jesus? Sharing requires that you know the message and how to explain it clearly. And I have a way of expressing Jesus' message, and you can have it if you want it. It's A, B, C. A, admit that you're separated by God Uh, from God by your sin. B, believe Jesus. 
that he died for you and receive God's forgiveness. See, commit to leave your old life behind and follow Jesus. When a friend gives me the opportunity to share how to begin a new relationship with God, I say something like this, ABC. And uh, as I say, you know, there's no magic words, uh, you know, but a, pr- a relationship with God usually begins with a prayer, expressing something to God. And so I suggest that my friend use this ABC structure for praying to receive God's forgiveness and starting this process of a new relationship with him. You don't need to use my summary, but you need to know the message so that you can help people Ask God for forgiveness and begin to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be saved. And that leads us to the final scene, saving. And this is what happened to the jailer. He was saved from a life separated from God. And his whole family was saved to a life of meaning and joy and everything else that comes from a friendship with God. And this is what you need to envision for your one. Of course, there's barriers of apprehension that want to imprison you, but you must refuse to be a passive prisoner. You must allow Jesus to inspire you for this saving scene, this saving scene as it relates to your one. The saving scene of how one day can change everything for the one on your heart. How one day your one could experience all the blessings that pour out of a friendship with Jesus. And how one day comes about because maybe in this moment you make a decision to care about one, at least one. Would you please stand now as we close?